The reading this morning is from the first epistle of Peter, chapter 2, reading from verse 2 to 25. So get rid of all evil behaviour, be done with all deceit, hypocrisy, jealousy, and all unkind speech. Like newborn babies, you must crave pure spiritual milk so that you will grow into a full experience of salvation. Cry out for this nourishment now that you have had a taste of the Lord's kindness. You are coming to Christ, who is the living cornerstone of God's temple. He was rejected by people, but he was chosen by God for great honor. And you are living stones that God is building into his spiritual temple. What's more, you are his holy priests. Through the mediation of Jesus Christ, you offer spiritual sacrifices that please God. As the scriptures say, I am placing a cornerstone in Jerusalem, chosen for great honor, and anyone who trusts in him will never be disgraced. Yes, you who trust him recognize the honor God has given him, but for those who reject him, The stone that the builders rejected has now become the cornerstone. And he is the stone that makes people stumble, the rock that makes them fall. They stumble because they do not obey God's word, and so they meet the fate that was planned for them. But you are not like that, for you are a chosen people. You are royal priests, a holy nation, God's very own possession. As a result, you can show others the goodness of God, for he called you out of darkness into his wonderful light. Once you had no identity as a people, now you are God's people. Once you received no mercy, now you have received God's mercy. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbours. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honourable behaviour and they will give honour to God when he judges the world. For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king as head of state or the officials he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honour those who do right. It is God's will that your honourable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the king. You who are slaves must submit to your masters with all respect. Do what they tell you, not only if they are kind and reasonable, but even if they are cruel. For God is pleased when, conscious of his will, you patiently endure unjust treatment. Of course you get no credit for being patient if you are being beaten for doing wrong, but if you suffer for doing good and endure it patiently, God is pleased with you. For God has called you to do good, even if it means suffering, just as Christ suffered for you. 
He is your example, and you must follow in his steps. He never sinned, nor ever deceived anyone. He did not retaliate when he was insulted, nor threaten revenge when he suffered. He left his case in the hands of God, who always judges fairly. He personally carried our sins in his body on the cross, so that we can be dead to sin and live for what is right. By his wounds you are healed. Once you were like sheep who wandered away, but now you have turned to your shepherd, the guardian of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. What a great song that is, He Will Hold Me Fast. And as my nerves begin to jangle, as I waited to come up, I thought, Christ will hold me fast. So, on Thursday, I got an email from Stephen saying, What's your sermon called? And I thought to myself, it was bad enough writing it without coming up with a title for it as well. So there we are. Persecution and salvation is what it's called, if you hadn't noticed on the intimation sheet. So if you, I'm thinking that sounds a bit like, you know, 19th century, Bible-thumping, Bible thumping, fire and brimstone. Well, we'll see what the style comes over as I get into it. But, uh, so, but it is persecution and salvation. So John read our, our passage from First uh, Peter uh, chapter 2. Now this letter was written by Peter and set out to what was a very scattered church. It was a scattered church because of persecution. In the Acts of the Apostles, there are reminders for us of how the church was attacked and persecuted. For example, in Acts chapter 8, after Stephen was martyred, we read, A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem, and all the believers except the apostles were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. There are also frequent references to Paul, his friends, and the new churches he was establishing being attacked by the Jews and others in the local populations because of their faith. It is in this context that Peter writes to God's chosen people. He sees them as being in danger of persecution and not being prepared for it. But this is a letter of encouragement encourages them about salvation and what it means for them and to stand firm in their faith. So the book has these two themes of persecution and the promised salvation intertwined together so that the readers can be strong and stand fast for their beliefs. Peter's writing to Christians in the provinces of Pontius, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia, all of which form part of modern-day Turkey. In his opening greetings in chapter 1, he refers to them as foreigners. 
in the New Living Translation. And in the NIV, it describes as strangers. He again uses this expression in chapter 2, verses 11, which John read to us. So in the New Living Translation, we have, Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. But bear with me as I read the wording in the NIV where he says, where it's written as, Dear friends, I urge you as aliens and strangers in the world to abstain from sinful desires which war against your soul. So why does Peter refer to these Christians as aliens or foreigners? Now, it could be that many were literally foreigners who had to leave Jerusalem as refugees and had ended up in these provinces to escape persecution. But Peter also is talking about their lifestyle. As Christians, we are not to live our lives in exactly the same way as the non-believing live their lives. We are to follow Christ and try and live our lives by his standards. For the early Christians, this clearly had implications. In chapter 1 at verse 6, Peter writes, So be truly glad there is wonderful joy ahead even though you must endure many trials for a little while. He acknowledges that despite all that they can look forward to, for now it's going to be hard. There's a price to be paid for standing out from the crowd. There's a price to be paid for speaking about being a Christian and saying, what you believe in. There's a price to be paid for being an alien in their own country and being considered as foreigners by the rest of the countrymen. So what about us? Do you feel like an alien living in this world? As a Christian, do you feel that your beliefs fit in with what is put forward in social media? The press, film and television as generally acceptable behaviours or lifestyles? More than that, do you think we open ourselves to criticism when we need to speak out to disagree with such views and attitudes? So as a Christian, do you feel part of this world or not? Do we fit in any more? So does the world accept us and our beliefs and will it much longer? Some recent events have got me thinking about how Christianity is perceived by the world by non-Christians. The recent campaign for the leadership of the SNP highlighted this issue. When Kate Forbes spoke out about her Christian faith and in particular her views on marriage and family life, there was a certain amount of outrage on the part of some who said they could not work with her 
because they could not accept these views. This scenario is not new. Tim Farron, who was leader of the Liberal Democrats from 2015 to 2017, eventually had to step down, stating that he had become, and I quote, torn between living as a faithful Christian and serving as a political leader. Another very recent example is the Archbishop of Canterbury speaking out against a migration bill in the House of Lords. One person who phoned into Jeremy Vine's programme in BBC Radio 2 said, that arch, the Archbishop should keep out of politics and it's not a place for religion. And it's not just politics. You see it in TV fiction. Rona and I like the occasional murder mystery on the TV. Nothing too gory, mind you. Nothing like ten episodes, one episode, half an hour. I can concentrate that long. But on one we watched recently, it featured a Pentecostal church where the priest was, how would I put it, quite extreme, extreme, or maybe just a bit weird in the way the character was portrayed. Anyway, although he didn't commit the murder, one of his congregation did. Or the vicar character played by Peter Davison in The Larkins. Lazy, heavy drinking, a smoking good for nothing. These representations do not reflect your average minister, vicar or priest hard-working, caring, loving, and looking after the congregation and communities. I could go on, but I will stop quoting examples. Hopefully you understand where I'm coming from. In generations past, the Christian perspective would have been admired and respected. Increasingly in our society, I believe there is a desire to marginalise and exclude the Christian perspective. In time, what will this lead to? We can see in other areas of debate where there are those who'd want to stop others expressing their views. When will the church fall foul of these people? As I was preparing for today, I listened to Alistair Begg preaching on this passage. And he says, makes the following reference to churches in the USA. And I paraphrase. The secular world is quite happy to live with the church in its community until it says something that they don't like. I think this sums up the experience of Christians, politicians and clergy alike. How does Peter advise us to deal with this situation? Peter's message here is to recognize that secular society is different and we should not fit in with it. In verses 11 and 12 we read, Dear friends, I warn you, as temporary residents and foreigners, to keep away from worldly desires 
that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbours. Then, even if they accuse you of doing wrong, they will see your honourable behaviour and they will give honour to God when he judges the world. Peter is reminding us that we are God's people. Our true home is with him. But as we pass through this world, we must show people that we are citizens of a better world. And why should we do this? Because we have something far better given by God, which Peter sets out right at the start of chapter 1 in verses 2 and 3. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his Spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by his great mercy that we have been born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. God chose us. He has cleansed us through his great mercy. We are born again because Christ is raised from the dead. This supersedes and is far greater than anything the world has to offer. The New Living Translation uses the word warn in verse 11, and the NIV uses urge. I suppose the former is more of a be careful what you're doing, while the latter is please don't go there. But the meaning is clear. Be careful. Keep away from the ways of the world. Because as Peter reminds us, we have something far better than the world has to offer. In verse 12, we are called to be such good witnesses so that when non-believers see our good behavior and good deeds, they themselves will honor God when he comes to judge the world. This is quite a verse. Have you noticed this before? I don't think I have. What does it mean? What Peter is telling us, we have to live such good lives that even though our neighbors or society might deride us or persecute us or lay charges against us, they will recall our behavior on the day of judgment and recognize what we served, that we served our God. What a thought that is. We have an obligation to behave in an appropriate way, to be so good as God wants us to be no, as God wants us to be so that we are noticed. That verse, I think, probably deserves a whole sermon in itself. But um, So have you thought about that when you're having an argument with your neighbour about the bins or the grass cuttings? What a high standard of behaviour is, is expected of us as we interact with our fellow human beings. That's quite a challenge for each one of us 
as we live out our Christian lives. So we are not to fit, we are not to live within society, but our values are not to be the same. I'll try again. We are to live within society, but our values are not to be the same as society. We are not to conform and fit in. We have to stand out from the crowd. Peter goes on to give us evidence, guidance, as how we are to go about it, saying that we have to respect the laws of the land for the sake of our Lord. Verses 13 to 17. For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king as head of state or the officials he has appointed. For the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and to honour those who do right. It is God's will that your honourable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you. For you are free, yet you are God's slaves, so don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the king. The Bible commentary I have says that Peter, when he writes this, still sees the state, its rulers and officials, as appointed by God for the maintenance of moral values. Perhaps when we look at some of the world's rulers of today, we might seek to challenge Peter on this perspective. But the message is clear and undoubtedly valid. We should respect those who are called to govern us. We should abide by the laws of the land. We should live good and honourable lives that will set such a good example that those who seek to criticise us will have no case against us. And then in verse 17 it says, Respect everyone, believers and unbelievers. So where is God in all this if we feel that our Christian values are being belittled or threatened? The life group I attend has been studying Daniel. And just to mention, if you're not in a life group, thoroughly recommend it. It's a great way to, to have fellowship and, and learn more about God's word. So we've been studying Daniel recently. And Daniel is a foreigner living in exile, but he makes a stand against the Babylonian culture enforced upon him so that he can continue to serve the true God and be faithful to him. In the first seven chapters, there's a series of events where he and his friends have to stand out from the crowd. They refuse to eat some of the food provided by the king because it contravenes God's law. He continues to openly pray to God, even when a law is passed, effectively banning him from doing so. And God saves them when they are thrown into the lion's den. The message of this book is that despite what happens to Daniel and his friends, God is totally in control throughout the adversity, and God protects them. They put their trust completely in him. And what is true of God then 
is true of God today. Whatever we come across, like Daniel, we should put our trust in him. Peter tells us that although life can be challenging and our Christian values are criticised and rejected, we should remember that we belong to a different kingdom, God's kingdom, far better than anything the world has to offer. In the final verse of chapter 5, at the end of Paul's letter, eh, Peter's letter, we read, My purpose in writing is to encourage you and assure you that you are experiencing what you are experiencing is truly part of God's grace for you. Stand firm in this grace. So, let us all stand firm in his grace. Let us pray. Father in heaven, we thank you that we can reflect on Peter's letter written to those early believers in your church. We can see that they risked persecution for what they believed in. But Peter tells them to stand firm, knowing that there is something better for them. Father, we live in a world where persecution can be blatant through imprisonment or subtle through criticism and marginalization. We live in a country where there is less respect for Christian values, where they are portrayed in a negative way. Give us the courage to speak up for what we believe in and say what has to be said. Remind us that you walk beside us on our journey and that whatever happens, you are in control. Amen.